Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze, and today I got Landra Karekis with me, and we are going to be talking about the feasts of the Lord and whether or not they have application for us today as as Christians and followers of Christ. But before we get to that, I wanted to say a couple things. First of all, if you are new to the podcast and maybe you haven't heard of it before, this is the Unresolved Life podcast. Our goal is to answer life's unresolved questions. And believe me, I know we got a bunch of them. It started originally as a way for me to vet my own questions. And I still do that. Trust me. I still do that. It's also kind of morphed into uh, others asking their questions. And we're just trying to figure out if there's really a big God, and then what's he really about? So that's what this show is about. If you've heard this show before and, and you're able to, uh, there is a support link and, and you can feel free to do so. Um, and we've got a few announcements coming uh soon on that side of things so just keep listening but enough of the housekeeping shall we let's get on with the show landra welcome to the show thank you well we're glad to have you so you were referred to me by by sanda ellison and she said that you would be a good contact for dealing with the feasts of the lord so but before we get to that can you kind of give the audience a little bit about who you are and and how you came to do what you do now? Sure. I am 46 uh, years old and thankful for that. I uh, am married and I do have two children that I homeschool. They're two boys, nine and uh, 12. So we're. But they keep you occupied. <laughs> they keep it lively for sure. Uh, and and it, they're, they're a blessing in my life and, of course, my husband's life. So currently, that is my main occupation is homeschooling and uh, ministering just where the Lord leads. Of course, diving into Him uh, as far as uh, I can go. How did you come to know God? Uh, My father uh, is a a minister. Uh, I have history in the Church of Christ. So I've known the Lord all my life, but uh, to really have Him as my Savior and one that I felt I could not live without. Um, that really didn't take place until um, I was married. He opened my eyes to grace, and uh, once my eyes were opened to His grace, and that uh, it was not me offering my salvation, but Him, I just prayed that He would never stop my hunger. He has not let me down. He's took me through many trials. Uh, one of which is um, cancer. I had cancer of the breast. Um, and it was after that point that he, I mean, my relationship with him was very strong even before that. But after that trial, he used that um, and into greater depths of him. And I'm still diving. I think, aren't we all? Um, yes, ma'am, we are. I mean, you know, it to me, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing how you can go through something and on the surface, it looks like something straight out of the pit of hell. Like, why is this even going to be useful to you? I mean, I don't know what you were thinking when you decided to assign this one, but 
you know, I mean, and, and I mean, we've all had those thoughts, right? Like, God, what game are you playing here? What's up? Right. And, and, and I honestly speak from experience because I'm kind of going through a trial, which I don't want to necessarily go into here. That's not the purpose of the show. But I'm going, I, you know, you go, you have those thoughts and you're like, okay, God, what is up? He uses pain so strongly and so powerfully and with so many ripples. It is beyond our understanding, but I know for certain he wastes no pain. Even the ones we cause, which is incredible. Amen. Even the ones we cause. I, I don't I still don't get that. So knowing the Lord, I mean it sounds like you had a pretty quote unquote normal religious church kid upbringing. How did you end up learning about the feasts? I for many years, twenty twenty something years, I always had my time with the Lord in the morning, which is something I he has trained me in. And I'm thankful for it. But uh, one of those mornings, um, after my chemo treatment was done, chemo, radiation, surgery, all that was done. This was about two months after that. I was praying one morning. I was done with this other study that I had gone through. And that was in studying the power of the name of, of Jesus, which was a powerful study itself. That took me through the tabernacle. But then I said, all right, now what do you want me to study? And I just sat there and waited for him. And he said, I want you to know my feasts. And I thought, why? You know, who, who, who cares about those anymore? I mean, I, I really questioned. Yeah, I just questioned him. I thought, well, aren't those kind of like, you know, done? And he was adamant. And it was so far out of left field. But I thought, well, okay, I guess this is what we're going to do. So he took me on a little journey through there. I started with the piece, and I've never been the same since. <laughs> I guess, you know, when he gets out of it, it's very similar to when uh, Unresolved started. Um, it started after I came back from, from uh, walking away from the Lord for five years. That's a story in itself, which the audience is familiar with. But, um, uh, you know, I, I essentially... After going through a trial of losing sight and mom in the span of one week, I pretty much told God, you know what? We're done. You're done. And goodbye. That lasted for five years. And then he kind of, he I guess he wasn't so done as I thought. <laughs> um, he decided to wrangle me back into things. And uh, he told me, well, I want you to write a book. And I said, uh-huh. Yeah. How about not? We're not doing that. Well. Six months later, still arguing with him over that one. And he goes, well, if you're not willing to write a book, start a podcast. So the book is still coming. <sighs> yes, the book is still coming. It's in progress. And I have no idea when it's going to come. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of those, Lord, this is one of those ones I'm doing because you told me to, but I really don't want to write this thing. Uh, it's beautiful that, you know, five, the number five in Hebrew represents grace really it does <sighs> explain well uh when you see the number five throughout scripture uh that's just what the number five represents you you see it through scripture when you see it um it usually points to grace so just just know that also the fifth letter of the hebrew alphabet is hey um it's it's uh, goes it's a huh, 
like a breath. And it's not like, hey, like, hey, I'm going to feed my horse now. (laughs) No, not like that. (laughs) H E Y. And it has the sound, the breath sound. And it represents a man or person raising their arms up in complete awe of God. As you, if you get a chance to study the Hebrew alphabet, that is an amazing, amazing study in its own. But anyway, so the number five, I, I just love that. That um, it is grace, and it certainly represents uh, your time. <laughs> wow! Wow! That's uh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> I've heard interesting things on this show. That's definitely that definitely qualifies. So let's kind of shift gears. You went into a study of the feasts. If you could kind of give us an overview of the feasts and kind of sum them up, how would you describe the feasts? The feasts are not, um, as I always thought, the feasts, I thought they were a Jewish feast, but they're they're not. Uh, the Lord explicitly says that these are my feasts, mine, his appointed times, which means they're on his calendar. And he has made appointments, appointed times for us to meet with him and he to meet with us. But can't we meet with him anytime, given the fact that in the under the new covenant, we have access to the throne room and it says to come to him boldly? Yes, but these are also feasts that he has ordained since the beginning of time, since before the beginning of time. In fact, in Genesis, it says the moons were made for my moed or seasons and moedim are appointed times and feasts. Someone might argue, hey, that's under the the um, the the law and and the thing and all that. And because Jesus fulfilled all that, we are not obligated to keep them. Uh, we certainly don't have to. But. Um, In Ephesians, it says, let's see, Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision or circumcised, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. We were separate from Christ from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And it continues for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, the barrier that separated Jews and Gentiles. And finally, by abolishing in his flesh, not the law, but the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances that in himself, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. So if I am under the commonwealth of Israel now, and my savior was a Jew, then I am going to try to be like him. (laughs) And I am aligning myself with Israel. So I am Israel. Anyone who proclaims Yeshua as savior, Jesus as savior, 
is Israel. They're part of the Commonwealth of Israel now. So that is my claim to why I do this. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. So let's say for a moment that you're on the right track and okay, I'm going to start looking into the feasts. Where do I start? Because there's a few of them and it's confusing. (laughs) Well, they're all found in Leviticus 23. So if you, if you happen to, but they're also found throughout the rest of the Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, first five books of the Old Testament. But they're all found in 23. There are seven listed feasts. The Lord loves seven. His yeah, last I checked, it's his favorite number. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if he has favorites, that is. Uh, yeah, if, I'm sure that would be a favorite of his. Each year, we go through seven feasts that are listed. We also have Hanukkah, and we also have Purim. But those are not listed in Leviticus 23, but they're also celebrated. But the main seven are listed each year. So they become less confusing the more you do them. But I can give you a very fast rundown on them just to give you an idea of how they would be applicable to the Christian believer. The first of the the feasts is called Passover. And this points to when the Israelites... Uh, were brought out by the Lord from enslavement from Egyptians. And he brought them out by blood, the blood of the lamb. And, okay, so this is on the 14th of the month called Nisan, N-I-S-A-N. And this is talked about in Exodus, of course, when God talks about that. Of course, it's also talked about in, in Leviticus 23. But this feast is a foreshadowing of Jesus's death uh, on the cross. He is the Lamb of God. And what is so beautiful is that uh, Jesus is in the middle of everything. He's in the middle of every feast. He's in the middle of every part of every feast. And that has been celebrated by Jews forever. They were they're the ones who've kept him alive, but they apply to all believers. Uh, because it all points to Yeshua, Jesus. Anyway, so Jesus is the Passover lamb. And in fact, on the very hour he was crucified, uh, is the same hour that all of the the lambs were being slaughtered for uh, Passover. So it happened on the very same day. This is the same day. And then the next feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, is also during the days when he was buried. Unleavened bread, of course, talks about the leaven is sin. But being unleavened, of course, is our Savior. He is without sin. And so it it points to that. Then on the Feast of First Fruits, that is uh, the feast that is done. And on the very same day of that feast, he rose from the dead. And, And so those are all on the very same time, the very exact same time. Now, 50 days from Passover, 50 days, they counted the, the, the apostles, anybody who was aligned with Jewish anything, uh, counted 50 days to Shavuot. Shavuot is what we know as Pentecost, 50. So Pinta. So 50 days from there, from 
from his crucifixion from Passover, there is Shavuot. And on that day of Shavuot, what, what was, has been celebrated was more Moses bringing the law from the mountain that the Lord had given him. So he brought it down to the people. And of course, on the mountain was fire at the top, which was with the Lord. Now, on Pentecost... Wait a minute. Pentecost is when the tongues of fire came down. Yes. So you have the same, very same day that the law was brought down. The Holy Spirit brought the Torah, living Torah, who is Yeshua, Jesus, brought the Holy Spirit down and wrote it on our hearts. That's the very same day. Then you have, I know, it's just amazing. Then you have a, a period of time in between. So that, that, that is the spring feasts, four spring feasts, if you will. Okay, now you've got the fall harvest coming in. And these are called the fall feasts. There's three of those. And so you have a period of time after Pentecost and before the first fall feast, which is the Feast of Trumpets. The next fall feast is called the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah, which we're going to talk about today. That that happened. That's happening this week, or happened this week, and that is the day that is considered the coronation of the king. The king is the the king will come back, and of course, those who don't believe in Yeshua, Jews who don't believe in Yeshua, they um, are waiting for the the Messiah to come. But those who do believe in him and know that he has already come, they're waiting for him to come back, and. Yeah, he came, of course, as the suffering servant, but he will be coming back as the conquering king. When he comes back, this is the crowning of the king. This is what's going to be taking place, the trumpets. Now, between the Feast of Trumpets and the next feast, which is Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, you have 10 days, and that's called the 10 Days of Awe, A-W-E, 10 Days of Awe. And... Another reason for the trumpets is to call everyone into return. Come back. Come back home. Come back to the king. Return to him. Because the day of judgment is coming. And that is the Yom Kippur. And are you going to be in the book of life or the book of remembrance? Well, we as believers in Yeshua, we know we are. We know we are. He is our atonement. But it still is very, very good for us to prepare ourselves and to make ourselves right with him. I mean, we know that he sees us right, but he'll take us any way he can get us. We're his bride, but the bride wants to be beautiful for him. So it's a time of just aligning yourself back with him. What have I done against you? That type of thing. So Yom Kippur takes place 10 days later uh, after um, trumpets. That is the time when you will have the day of on Yom Kippur. That's the day of judgment. And that's when the priest in the tabernacle, you know, he, there would be a, two goats and he would take the blood of that goat and, and take it into the Holy of Holies. And the other goat would go off with our with sins, the sins of everybody. But, the scapegoat. Yes, the scapegoat. Very good. But the blood that goes into the Holy of Holies, okay, well, that's the atoning blood. and the veil has been torn for us. I mean, the veil has been torn, period. But before 
the high priest could only go in one time a year, and that was the day. That was the day that everyone was covered by the blood. And of course, of that, of course, that pointed to Jesus, Yeshua. And that's also considered the wedding day, the wedding day of the bride and the groom. Uh, then five days later is the wedding supper of the lamb. That's the, and, it's, and, and that is the feast of tabernacles. And that goes on for seven days. And that is the wedding feast. That is the feast itself. So, you know, all of it, Yeshua, Jesus, I call him Yeshua because um, that, that's his Hebrew name and I'm used to it. And I'm, I'll try to. No, it's fine. It's fine. I think uh, people, they understand that, you know, we're talking about Christ. We're talking about. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, he was Jewish. And so, you know, because you you lean more in that direction, that that's totally cool. I get that. Okay. well, um, he is in the middle of everything. He is in the middle of it all. And a study of these feasts, it just amazes me. And it saddens my heart, but then it has to amaze me again because I cannot stay in sadness over this of how this was kept from my heart as a believer in this Messiah that I love. How was this kept from me? It made me mad for a long time, but uh, I've gotten over that. Now I just tell everybody I can tell. So. That raises a question before we kind of get back into the specifics of the the feast that we are in now, uh, which is Rosh Hashanah. Why, I mean, let's go ahead and take that detour. Why do you think that these feasts have been kept from uh, believers? I mean, because I know growing, well, first, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home. But when I did come to know the Lord, I wasn't taught necessarily about these things or I didn't understand them. You know, initially. In the first century, Christianity was a form of Judaism. We sided with Jesus. We wanted to be like him and his followers. (laughs) And they were mostly Jewish. They kept the Torah. They kept these traditions. They, and not all man-made traditions, you know, they, they went back to the Torah. That's what he, Yeshua rebuked was man-made traditions. And he rebukes them today because we have a ton of them ourselves in the Christian faith. Around that time, a little after, about, I think, 1500 or something like that, there began a division in Rome, even more so, to getting away from the Jews and going and separating Jews and Christianity. Okay, so that became a, a division. And it started and it got even more escalated, of course, with Constantine. And Constantine said, okay... Now everybody's going to be Christian, and if you're Jewish, that will be shut down. You cannot be Jewish or, you know, it's the rule to be Christian in his land. So it became obviously very unpopular, you know, to become to be Jewish and to study Torah and to keep Sabbath and all of these things. So they had to get away from it. They got away from it. They separated out where the one it used to be one, okay, and then I went to, to two. Now we've got Jew and Gentile again, if you will, but you've got Christian and you've got Jews and you better stay over here or be hidden or don't do anything Jew because now the Christians are going to be in, in charge for a while, okay? So you've got this division taking place and this division has taken place and maintained being separate from each other all these years, all these centuries. 
And in the process, and in the process, they kind of watered down the Old Testament and watered down, if I'm understanding you right, because they didn't want people understanding that stuff. Well, they just wanted to be separate from it. They didn't want any any association with it because they didn't want to be seen as a Jew. Jews were killed, uh, slaughtered, uh, crucified. It was very, very bad. Um, if they followed any rules of Torah, anything like that. It was very, very bad. Practicing Jews either practiced in silence, hidden, or they changed to Christianity, more of a Catholic side of Christianity. Then a new set of feasts were brought in to kind of equate with Passover. Instead of Passover, they they had Easter. You know, they wanted to do, or Good Friday. And then you had Easter instead of first fruits. You know, they needed to do separate things to still celebrate, but not celebrate as a Jew, if that makes sense. So in other words, what you're suggesting is that Good Friday and Easter and all the things that are associated now with the Christian faith are just knockoffs. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's, that's pretty, the- that's a pretty bold claim. I mean, because those have been celebrated. These, these things have been celebrated within the Christian church for centuries. Yes. I realize that, but they are, they are definitely, I mean, I don't find them in the Bible anywhere. I don't find the word Easter and I don't find, you know, Good Friday. I don't, I don't find those things in the Bible. And of course they needed to change, or I guess they, they didn't need to, but the Sabbath was, was changed as well. Well, see, I mean, okay, that could be justified because he rose on a Sunday. Okay. That could be justified uh, that way, but uh, it doesn't say anywhere that it should be changed. The Sabbath should be changed. So there's. But then they meet on the first day of the week. It says in the book of Acts. They did. Uh, but that is actually, um, it. It is actually says the first of weeks. That's a whole nother thing. There's ways to argue this because of going back to the what really the Greek says and what you know it's associated with. <laughs> I, I I I could go there if you want me to, but it's- no, no. I mean, obviously, there's we don't have a whole we don't have a a lot of time. I mean, I'm just like my job here is to kind of to to press the issue where I can, because that's what the, you know, and so I'm bringing the questions that as you speak, I'm that are coming up in my heart and in my mind and I'm going, wait a minute. (laughs) You know, that's a bold claim there. It is. And it's just something to dive into, you know, maybe just for the listeners say, okay, why, why was this changed? Maybe let's let me do some history on this. Let me do some history on, on, on the Sabbath. Let me do some history on these holidays. What has to be considered is, all right, these holidays still point to him. My pointing to the the feasts, I go to them as what I believe is as truth. I have many friends, um, in fact, most of my friends celebrate holidays. We all know and have tradition and celebrate and Easter and all these things. And I have had to go back to the fact that, all right, my friends are celebrating Jesus. They're celebrating his birth. They're celebrating the the power of his death and resurrection. They're celebrating him. So there will come a day when we will all be on the same page with that. 
But for now, I choose the feasts. I understand. Let's dive into a little more specifically the feast of uh, Rosh Hashanah um, to kind of give some context. I actually participated uh, in a couple of online services or, or, or observances of Rosh Hashanah, and I thought it was rather interesting. I learned a lot. I, <laughs> you, you know, you think, okay, it's just a feast of trumpets. Uh, okay, interesting. So what does Rosh Hashanah mean when you look at it? The term Rosh Hashanah means head of the year, which is, that means the beginning of the year. This is the new year for them on their civil calendar. Uh, there's two calendars, the civil calendar and the biblical calendar. This is the head of the year for, for uh, and like a new year for them and uh, for, for those who celebrate this. And um, it's also the birthday, uh, considered the birthday of creation. This is, this is the week of creation. And to that, yeah, of course, it's a feast of trumpets. So you have the feast of alarm, if you will, um, or Yom Teruah, the day of alarm. And that's basically like an alarm clock to wake up the sleeper. Wake up. It's time to come back to the Lord. He wants you back and judgment day is coming. So it's a day of, of waking up. That, I mean, we could so press into that right there. I mean, because that, I mean, all of these are, are places we could press in, but I, I, I feel like we need to kind of press into that because maybe there's someone out there who's been just totally asleep or maybe they're like I was and maybe they're kind of what you might term backslidden or falling away. So, and you know, for whatever reason, maybe they're just mad at God. Maybe they just had a lot of things come in and, and it kind of got them separated from God. So how can this this alarm, this feast of alarm be applicable to them? If they are the bride of Yeshua, if they are betrothed to him and have received him as their only salvation in this life, then they are his bride. And they are going to be presenting themselves in 10 days, if you will, um, to their groom. And he longs for them. He is seeing them right now through the lattice, it says in the Song of Solomon. And soon he will have us. And he wants to be with them. He is the groom and, sh- and they are his bride right now. 10 days, you know, before Yom Kippur to wake up and know their worth. He will take his bride however he can get her. And if she comes down that aisle, just think of any groom. If his bride comes down that aisle and she had just fallen into a puddle and she's just covered in filth, he doesn't care. He knows her worth. He knows And he has chosen her, which means set aside or holy, and set her aside for him. So she is holy to him. But that bride, she wants to appear before him as clean as possible, spotless, beautiful. So to awaken the sleeper and say, come on, dear one, your groom waits for you. Get up and let's clean up and let's go to him. Just to know your worth. 
you know, on one hand, you sit there and you think, okay, I know Christ. I've accepted him as, as my Lord and Savior, as my only path to salvation. I know that. But man, this world, is, it screams at you or your own life's circumstances. They scream at you and they say you're not worth anything. Stop trying to become something you're not. Another thing that this feast does, the call, the call, the blast of a shofar, not only calls in his people, but it also scatters the enemy. Like with Gideon, when he blew his shofar, the enemy scattered. In numbers, the enemy scatters. And with the walls of Jericho, the walls fall. So, sleeper, this is the time to listen for that call. He is calling you out and it is louder than any noise around you. This is your, this is your groom calling for you. This is the watchman saying, come on. Wow. Wow. And, and, you know, I had never really thought about that whole Jericho thing. I mean, I mean, I always read it like it, it, you know, well, they, they walked around a building to a few, a few, like seven times. They blew a horn and magically this thing just falls down. You know, I mean, it, you know, stories like that say it seems so, so, you know, they're real because it's written in the Bible. Therefore it has to be real, but they seem so far out there. Yes, I know. <laughs> but uh, most of the time when you read about the trumpet call, the last trumpet, that's usually speaking of a shofar. So then when it says that the trump, and Christ, the trump will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first, you believe it's going to be a shofar that sounds? Yes, I do. I do believe it. I'll say this. I've heard a shofar in person and, and there was nothing like hearing that thing. Yeah. I, <laughs> that is trippy. Yeah, it's it's pretty powerful. I have mine here. Um, so I thought, well, I'll get it in case she needs me to blow the shofar for her. You know what? Why not? <laughs> I can. Um, I can tell you about the um, different blasts of the shofar that will occur. Um, there's, there's actually four distinct uh, blasts of the shofar. Uh, that take place on Rosh Hashanah or Feast of Trumpets, you probably heard them if you, I'm sure you did, if you um, listen to something online or watch something online. But there's four blasts, and one is called Tekiah, and it's just one long blast of an alarm. And it also, though, can mean like the Lord is, the, the, the king is coming. There's a king coming. The king is coming. But it also can mean that the guards are on the wall, all is well in the kingdom, the, the guards are in place, so all is safe. But it usually is to bring some attention. Then there's the Shevarim, and that is uh, three medium blasts. It signals usually a significant event, like the changing of the guard, or the arrival of an important person. Or the call to come and assemble and hear what's come to be said. Like something, you need to come and hear this stuff, right? Something's happening. And then the third one is the Teruah. And that's where we get Yom Teruah, the day of alarm. Because it is, it's like an alarm clock. So it's like nine staccato sounds, uh, nine staccato blasts. And it's to wake them up. It's to wake people up. 
knowing that they have 10 days to get ready for the day of judgment, 10, 10 days, whether you are a believer in Yeshua or not, you really need to come square with your Lord. You, you, you need to look at yourself. Even on uh, Yom Kippur, those who are believers in Yeshua and anyone who follows Torah around the globe, millions of people, they stand in, in white. They wear solid white, either pleading for him to forgive them, right? Uh, and be covered by him another year or to thank him for this atonement that has been given. I'm reminded in the book of Revelation where it says, uh, and I don't remember chapter or verse, but it refers to the saints that are dressed in white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I believe that will be the, the day of Yom Kippur. <laughs> mm, that'll yeah. be very interesting. Yeah. So, I guess, I guess to kind of wrap this up, why don't we do this? Why don't we have you play a sampling of the shofar, and then we'll have you come back, and we'll have you kind of uh, give some final thoughts, and we'll kind of go from there. Okay. All right. So let me see if I can do this. I'm going to do the one long blast, the three, the nine, and the one final blast, which is called Dekia Hagadola. And that's the final call, kind of like the verses on just as I am, you know, forever. They're waiting for someone to come down the aisle. Okay, this is like the last call. You better come on. All right, here we go. Praise God. That is seriously cool. Um. It is. This is our Lord. And, um, you know, it's, it's beautiful that the eyes of all people are actually being opened to his peace again. It's just beautiful. Wow. Well, <laughs> wow. Um, I will say this. You've given me a little bit to chew on, and, and I'm sure you've given my listeners something to chew on. Um, the whole premise of, of the feast is it's time to return to the Lord. It's, it's a returning of repentance to the Lord. So, you know, to go, to go back to that thought is just, just go back to him. It's time. Amen. Amen. And how would someone go about doing that? They, they need to be in a very quiet place with him and hide with him and acknowledge the fact if they've been away, I want, I want to come down that aisle again. I want to come down that aisle to you. I know I'm yours. I mean, and this is who they are. Father, I'm just asking that you, you turn whoever, turn them back to you. Have them walk down that aisle. At, just open the doors, Father, to show this bride to her groom. And Father, as she walks, let everything that is keeping her from her groom, whether this is a man or a woman, this is the bride of Christ. Anything that is keeping them away, Father, I ask that you cleanse it by the power of your name, Yeshua HaMashiach, Yeshua the Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. And you cleanse it, Father. Point it out what needs to be cleaned from them. And that nothing, nothing can keep them from loving, from your love. Nothing 
And there is no spot or blemish upon them that cannot be covered by your blood, that isn't covered by your blood. It's all covered, Father. And you see them as perfect and beautiful. But Father, I'm asking that you open their eyes to that and that you open their eyes to what is hindering them from being spotless before you that, that they have control over. Father, they can, they can hold a washcloth, but you're the one who takes it clean. So Father, bring them down to you, down through that aisle and unite with your bride again. In the name of Yeshua, Yeshua Jesus, we pray. Father. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.